Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joey Crundwell, here today. Oh, sorry. Go, go. Wow, bro. I thought like I'd be able to just like slip right in there. <clears throat> I'm Tab. Go ahead. I was going to say special <laughs> guest since you weren't here last week, so you've oh. lost your status. <laughs> Oh, see, that's sad. I guess maybe. Hmm. No, I I think I'm. I was used to say I said Ron last week, so I was like here with, and then, and so like with you, it's like you, I forgot that I say mine, and then you say yours. So yeah, you just forgot that I. What's exist. your name it's again? Okay. What was it? Can you remind me? <laughs> <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. But, but no, you're back. So glad to have you back. You were again. I think I mentioned last week off doing crazy house buying stuff, and that's mm-hmm. all still coming along. So you have a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah. Today I'm dismantling the office. So that's been fun. There's so much stuff that you accumulate, even just having lived in a place for like 18 months. It's kind of ridiculous. Lots of video game stuff, though. Yeah, I've packed much of that away. Oh, you're leaving some of it behind, right? Because you're going you're taking like several trips across the but you're taking your PS5, you said, right? Yes. PS5. This one of the switches, uh, <laughs> the gaming PC, because it's my only, it's my only PC, so I need that for work too. Um, but yeah, that's basically what I'm taking with me. My my the ones that are dearest to my heart. The other ones I will come back for. Um, but I was so gentle, like placing the Xbox in the in the packaging, and like I will see you later, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll look for forward to updates about your setup because like i said i'm really curious about once you get there like how Mm -hmm. you're gonna get things set up i know you said you're gonna buy a new entertainment stand i think that's always fun to get your console set up in that um and we also saw each other for a trip recently i went up to michigan with some friends and we went to lake michigan and it was Mm -hmm. very fun very lovely i have a fun sunburn as a (laughs) as a as a souvenir (laughs) a sun veneer (laughs) But uh, I mean, would you rather that than like ticks? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would much rather a sunburn, which is probably st- stupid because I could get sun well, cancer from from sunburn, but not from ticks. You know, Lyme disease, but mm-hmm. that's easier to deal with than cancer, probably. So, probably. Um, <laughs> one would assume. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, let's get into some news. There's not a ton this week. You and I have been busy. I've been. I went on that trip. Mm-hmm. We we went on that trip together to go to the the yeah. Airbnb and all that stuff. So, we've been kind of out of it. But there are a couple of news stories I think that caught our eye. The first was I think right before we left for our trip, Valve revealed the Steam Deck, yes. which is a very Switch like portable handheld device where you can play your mm-hmm. entire steam library on the go um it, it, it like down to the fact that there's a dock that you can plug it into and then mm-hmm. it connects to a tv or a monitor or whatever you want to do it's sold separately but still it's it's a, a part of the the package um and there's three versions the 399 version which is 64 gigabytes of storage uh all a, a big jump up to 529 for a 256 gigabyte but you get an ssd with that and then right. there's a 649 version with 512 gigabytes of storage and also an SSD. And and the 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 two, uh, the 529 and the 649 options have other small little perks. Like the 649 has like, um, the anti glare glass. Yeah, it's like um, yeah, scratch resistant or scratch proof or something. There's a carrying case. Yeah. Yeah. But 
you i think i had screenshotted it and i think i was about to send it to you and you sent it to me um and you ordered one didn't you tell us about that process yeah so we were actually at the the cabin the cottage whatever you want to call it um and i knew that the um so so you can't you can't really like pre-order it you get you you reserve your spot to then order it um and just have to put five bucks down and so i kept refreshing and refreshing and refreshing and like finally hours later i was able to get in but then the servers were like we're sorry there's an issue so i was like oh man i probably missed my opportunity um and it was later that night when we were watching movies i finally got in and i was able to reserve um the uh the one for 649 so oh 649 you went for the big one i went with the big one i was like fuck it (laughs) gonna do it gonna do it um i know i kind of like went back and forth between the one for 529 and 649 but then i was thinking about the size of of certain games and i don't know like i i don't necessarily like that the the screen is different depending on the model i wish that that like anti-glare was just standard but that kind of sold me on it and then this is really stupid but the exclusive virtual keyboard theme i was Mm -hmm. like oh my god there are themes for this i'm gonna (laughs) want the damn theme (laughs) so i went with that one um i it was so funny to me though because when it was announced there was such negativity online and i usually just kind of like roll my eyes and move on from stuff like that. But, and we've, we've talked about this at length, but when valve comes out with new hardware, there's always the, I think vocal minority that's like, this is fucking stupid. Similarly with when Nintendo makes announcements, but I feel like we're seeing different iterations of things that they've introduced in the past and they keep finessing it. And their company is so big. They can afford to, have something fail or something not be as successful as they wanted it to be and still move on and like tweak it and and kind of, you know, make their improvements as they keep developing hardware. So I don't know. I am not like as excited for this as I was, say, the Switch or the PS5, but I am excited because I think the concept is great. Um, in the past on on the podcast, I've referred to the Switch as kind of an indie machine this for me, the Steam Deck would truly be an indie machine because there's so many little gems that may never come to console. And right. that's one of the reasons why I um, really like PC gaming. And I can also envision playing certain games like, uh, you know, maybe uh, Civilization with all the DLC that I have um, and just having that on the go. That's really appealing to me. So fingers crossed that it's actually worth it. But I do like... Uh, of what we know of the Steam Deck, I like the direction that they seem to be taking this with. So, yeah, I was thinking because when we first talked about it, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. For me personally, I don't know if it would be like, oh, I play my entire Steam library on here because there's certain games that I just don't like playing in handheld mode, even on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can play something that's like an open world adventure game or a first person shooter where I need or I want to see the environment and I'm exploring and I want to see every, you know, detail in the world. I definitely want to play that on a TV. But then I was thinking about my switch library and I'm like, how many, like, like you said, little PC games, like Emily is away or, um, Doki Doki literature club or things like that, that like Mm -hmm. would be great to be able to play on the go. 
like games like that are the kinds where you're like, man, I wish they would come to Switch. And when thing like Doki Doki Literature Club was was announced for the Switch, people were like, oh, awesome, you can play it on the go. Or same thing with like Civilization Six. Um, when things like that were announced for the Switch, it was a big deal because it's like, wow, cool, I can actually take this, you know, portable, mm-hmm. and suddenly every single game you have on Steam <laughs> or that you can get on Steam is on the Switch, quote-unquote, meaning it's on on a handheld that you can take with you to go play somewhere because I don't know, looking at the hardware, I don't know that the, plat- the, the hardware itself is going to matter all that much to the experience. If we're talking about, like, small indie games like visual novels, it's, you know, who cares how you're just right. going to be pressing one button over and over again. So, um for things like puzzle games and things like that, I just don't think that the, you know, Joy Cons are going to have a much of an advantage over the, the um, Steam Deck controller. So, I think yeah, I think it's going to be really great for a lot of games, and I just wonder what it's going to do to the market because there are a lot of companies that were like, man, the Switch really took off. A lot of people want things on the Switch. Let's mm-hmm. get some plans in order to move our game to the Switch. And like now, are they still going to do that? Because it is going to be a separate market. There's going to be plenty of mm-hmm. people, millions of people that are not going to buy the Steam Deck that are going to still have a Switch or buy a Switch in the future. Um, so you would still, because I, I saw some people, of course, I think I, there was there were two the two types of toxicity, the two trademarked types of gamer toxicity. One being like, this is stupid, Valve sucks, bullshit's going to fail. And the other being like, this is going to kill everything. Nintendo's fucked, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, okay. I, don't, no, no, no. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think, you know, someone is going to be like, well, I want a new handheld portable system. Which one do I get? You know what I mean? I don't think it's going to come down to that. I think it's two, it's almost two separate markets. Yeah. I saw so many comments on Twitter in particular of people being like, oh my God, this is great for all of the indies in my Steam library. Yeah. This is for... PC gamers, right? It's an alternative to sitting down at your desktop. I mean, I think that's the primary audience right there. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to take off like the Switch did, and I think unfortunately that's going to give fuel to that fire. People are going to be like, "See, it's a failure. It didn't put a dent in the Switch." And it's like, I don't think not everything is a direct competition to the next big thing, right? You know, and this is something that you and I talked about when we were discussing this. Is like it's. You know, when we think of these things, we as readers, as viewers, as gamers like to create our own narratives for them. But Valve has its own plan. When it came out with this, it was, you know, of course, it looks like a switch. And I think that's why some people are like, oh, it's competing with the switch. Um, It looks like a switch because the switch has been successful. Like the switch has been like we talked about it successfully merged handheld hardware and console hardware. You know, you can take your Game Boy ostensibly and plug it into your TV and play both games and play it in both places. So it's the, the, just the concept alone has sold a ton of people and that's what they're writing off of. But they're probably they're not I don't think they're looking to be the next switch. I don't think they're looking to unseat the switch. Um, if that were the case, they would, I think, be making moves to get exclusives and stuff. But no, this is strictly a way to play existing games on Steam. Mm hmm. Um, and I don't imagine they're going to put a ton of marketing into it. So, yeah. So yeah. Valve just kind of operates on its own, on its own level, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Um, quick question, not that this is like super, super relevant, but when the, the Vita came out, was there a similar sort of, uh, 
I guess, toxic group that was particularly vocal about this is this is stupid. It was uh, from my recollection, which could be flawed because I wasn't paying too much attention to it because I was like, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think I'm going to get it. Um, it was similar in the sense that, of course, you had the Sony fanboys being like, ah, this is going to fix all those problems that the PSP had. Mm-hmm. Um, no more like, you know, uh, proprietary disc based media, no more like expensive $20 movies that you already have and um, a better screen and, you know, better Internet uh, um like online gaming options and stuff. Uh, so I remember a lot of Sony fanboys being like, this is it. Like now Sony is going to finally beat Nintendo kind of thing. But I remember a lot of toxicity going the opposite way and saying, oh yeah, right. So it's PSP too. The PSP sucked and failed, which it didn't really, but that whole thing. (laughs) Um, so now they're just going to fail again. Um, and like, unfortunately, both things were kind of true. Like, <laughs> the PS Vita was a really great system, um, from all accounts that I had heard. From well, most accounts, most accounts that I had heard, and then I got one for myself, and I was like, "Yeah, this is a great system." And it mm-hmm. did what the Switch does now. We talked about this before. It allowed for r- remote access to your PS4, so you could play your PS4 games on your or a PS3, PS3 and PS4 games on your Vita, and. I could essentially have like a little switch that I could take. I could start a game on my PS4 and then I could take my Vita and go in the bathtub or go out on my porch or something and play it. So mm-hmm. um, it was pretty groundbreaking and it was a really good system, but it didn't wasn't as successful. Like, again, I think I think Sony was trying to compete with Nintendo and unfortunately okay. lost. So I think that it's looked at as a bit of a failure. But yeah, I think it was sort of mixed. Um, I don't think it was as loud because the internet just wasn't what right, it was right. then as it is now. But so then it's it's this similar fanboy based discourse. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's it's part partly. I think it's the way that video games are covered too, and we talked about this before too, like clickbait. You know, so it's that vocal minority that's shitting on things, and media outlets are like well that's the story that's what people are going to be interested in that this new thing that is exciting and you know was was a surprise to a lot of people um is being dunked on by a bunch of people so we're going to report that because reporting oh a lot of people are excited for steam's new handheld system isn't news no one's going to click on that but when you get people like intrigued or even angry and you get them to do the hate clicks Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get clicks and you're going to get ad revenue. And, and unfortunately, that's still how much of like the video game space works. Um, and I feel like that is what happens is then it gets reported widely and we get the impression that like, man, everyone's shitting on this thing. And then it goes up for pre-order and it's sold out all day. Why is it sold out if everyone's shitting on it? You know what I mean? Because yep. it's, it's not the case. Um and I mean, I think it extends to YouTube, too, because we have so many stupid YouTubers. I wasn't <laughs> going to say the word. I don't want YouTube people to come after me. But like YouTube has become a super toxic platform as well because of that same thing of like, how do you get people to view your video? Be controversial, be drama. Right, exactly. Be, you know, be dramatic, be out- outraged and stuff like that. That the stu- that stuff gets views because you're going to get views from people who are also outraged, but you're also going to get views from people who are like, oh, I love this thing. What? You hate this thing? I'm going to let me let me see what you have to say. So 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a big part of it. And that segues in nicely into our second story, but I want to make sure, is there <laughs> anything else about the Steam Steam Deck you want to say? It's December, right? That's it's, when it's December. To come out. Yep. Um, I'm not exactly sure when people will get, you know, emails to actually take their reservation and actually make like an order. Right. Um, but again, I, I like at times if I'm able to kind of be an early adopter. So it's not that currently I have these like massive expectations for the Steam Deck, but I do find it exciting that Valve is continuing with, you know, putting out hardware and I just want to see what what that's about. It's I don't know, it's kind of an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited. Like I said, I think I think we would know if they were competing with Nintendo or trying to make a bigger splash if they were somehow trying to entice you to buy this over any other mm-hmm. ability to play your 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 steam games but there's nothing that's like like for me personally because i don't play a lot of games on the go i'm like i have literally like no reason to buy this i can play my steam library on my pc and on my laptop like i, I don't have a reason um but if i traveled more or something you know what i mean like if i was going moving around a lot more and i needed something to take my games with me this would be awesome but there's no like, oh, there's this game for it that I can only play on it. You know, there's no exclusive right. apps or anything. And that tells me that, like you said, it's just for people who are like, wouldn't it be cool to have my piece, my already existing library on the go? So mm-hmm. um, so maybe I will eventually get this is one of those things I can see myself getting if it's like 50 percent off on a Black Friday sale. I'd be like, well, right. but I mean, I might go on a trip at some <laughs> point, you know, um, because it would be cool to have. Yeah. Uh, have a handheld system for some of the smaller games. And I like we talked about before, I buy so many games. We everyone, I think a lot of gamers buy so many games in these Steam sales and other sales and then they just end up just collecting virtual digitized dust because we don't play mm-hmm. them. So uh I could see myself being like I'm going to go on this trip or something and I'm going to get my I'm going to start burning through some of those smaller games like as I'm on the road or on the on the road <laughs> as I'm driving. I'll uh, oh, knock wow, out some okay. games. <laughs> Play truck driving simulator. The final trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that that would be cool. But the other, yeah. so the the other news article, the other news article, the other news item that we wanted to talk about actually has something to do with that idea of like hate clicks and being really kind of toxic and negative. So Kotaku got into some, I don't even know if I would say hot water. There was some controversy around a Kotaku article that came out in the last few days. So something new and different. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not on brand for them. Um, They tweeted a headline of an article. I don't, when I looked at the article, I wasn't, I didn't see the title, but everyone seemed to be referring to it as the title of the article. So I think it was both the title of the article and the tweet that they tweeted out. And, And it was, 2K very quietly launches new XCOM game that looks like shit. And that's all they were basing that off of was a trailer. Um, And so that's the kind of big video game conversation or the video game discourse that I've been seeing over the last few days is, is discussions about this article. And on the one side, you have people who are saying like journalists should be able to say whatever they want. So they want journalists to be blunt and honest, whether they love it or hate it. Um, some people are saying, I'm glad they're telling it like it is, which messages like that concern me a little bit because they sound a little bit like a um, a certain 
fan group for a politician that we won't speak of. Um, and then some people are saying like, you know, why are people defending a mobile game? The game, the game does look like shit. So, you know, it's totally fine. On the other side, you have people saying, why does, what, why, basically, why does Kotaku continue to put for, put forth edgelord clickbait content? Um, this is not professional nuanced criticism. And, uh, Kotaku is now a YouTube thumbnail site and not a legitimate journalistic site. So you have, and the thing that struck me was that there were people that I respect and that were putting forth fair arguments on both sides. I mean, I definitely have the side that I'm leaning toward, but like the the one person who tweeted journalists should be able to say whatever they want. That's I'm paraphrasing. It was something like. I want journalists to be able to describe a game as they see it uh, and not have to worry about like, you know, dumbing down their language or, or protecting us or something. And I'm like, yes, okay, that's fair. But if we all agree that what we were just talking about, this sort of like edgelord, um, toxic, aggressive kind of discourse that goes on around video games is Mm -hmm. bad and i think we do then when your journalism starts reflecting that who are you catering to yeah you know like i there there's like when there's it's tone right we teach this as as writing teachers and i i've taken a couple of journalism classes and you know you go through the same kind of thing you talk about tone you talk about like well what's the tone that's appropriate for the piece and Kotaku has been criticized recently, like in the last few years, to my memory, um, for shifting to this very snarky, very edgy kind of journalism, if you want to call it that. I guess some of it, I don't, I wouldn't even know if I would classify as journalism. A lot of editorial stuff. Um, and... I, I don't like it. I used to really like Kotaku. They used to be my favorite video game site. Like, they were the first site that I went to if I wanted to look up a news article. And part of it was because they were a little bit more personable and a little bit more, I guess, what I would call real. Um, because I think there has been... And maybe this, this is where the site gained its popularity. But I think there has been a sort of growing... Uh, I don't know if I would say suspicion, but a growing kind of hesitation for a lot of video games journalism because Mm -hmm. one of the things is because of previews so when a game gets previewed people have complained i've seen people complain before many times and i've complained about it to myself because i don't have any friends i'm just kidding but um i'm just like oh we went on a trip with friends and then i'm like game's so lonely um (laughs) anyways i've cut cut all this out so I've complained before that like previews are always like, this game looks amazing. It looks so great. It's awesome. This game's going to be awesome. And then the game comes out and it sucks. And it's like, why? So were you lying when you saw the preview? And I've heard video game journalists talk about it and say, we're shown a very specific build. We're walked through these kinds of demos. Like we're shown that we're a lot of times we're not even shown on the hardware that the game's going to release on. We're shown on like a high end PC. And like all of that stuff is very fair, but it still becomes a case of like, well, why am I going to read a preview then if I'm going to be getting this glowing kind of like, you know, bending over backwards to please the developer kind of preview? Um, I'm just going to skip that. I'll just wait for the game to release. But on the other hand, like, again, playing into that very sort of like 
edge lordy clickbait like this looks like shit i don't well, like who does that i okay i don't disagree with you but i also want to bring up another i guess angle we would be uh and obviously we're having a very a very like small conversation where we're not covering everything right, right. but it wouldn't be fair to depict the people who are critical of Kotaku in particular without mentioning that people are critical in part of Kotaku because they're viewed as the SJW media. Kotaku will put out a fair number of articles that discuss representation and politics and race and gender and 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 other feminist and progressive aligned things. And gamers are always like, fuck Kotaku, SJWs. That is a major part of why people don't like them. Yeah, I, I to the point where I think that might have been even where it started, where their this reputation that they had started because they were at the center of the Gamergate controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I'm forgetting his name, but one of the journalists who write, one of the writers for Kotaku was um zoe's oh what is her last name zoe quinn yes thank you yeah zoe quinn's um boyfriend that they were claiming gave her a her game a positive review because they were dating so there was a a person at the center of that controversy that was working at kotaku and publishing articles so i wouldn't be surprised like you said if that is sort of where it started um i I don't know. I stopped following the site, not because of that, but because it started becoming very snarky and the internet in general was very snarky at the time. And I, I just didn't like that. It was just like, part of it was my own issues, my own like anxiety. I was, everything was very negative for like a a stretch, which granted there were some big shifts in the world, you know, four or five years ago. Um, And so maybe it was hard to not be snarky and cynical about everything, but I just got sort of tired of it. And so coming to this game site where I was like, yes, let's read some fun, interesting, thought-provoking criticism. And I'm just getting like snark and and cynicism. I was like, eh, it's just, I don't really, well, it's not the type of journalism that I'm like looking for, I guess. Yeah, but I also think it depends on which writers you're, whose work you're reading. Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, there have been another, uh, a number of people who have left Kotaku over the years that I thought were like, oh, that person, I really like their work. Um, a lot of them. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I totally get what you're saying, but I just wanted to add in that other angle of like Kotaku gets attacked quite often because it's the SJW media site yeah. and it's like talking about things that matter shouldn't be viewed as like bullshit you know but again yeah. what is it that you and i value versus what the the gamer tm values yeah and this is just this is just my very shallow reading of the twitter mm-hmm. threads that i've looked at and so i don't have a lot of evidence to back this up but this particular particular argument almost seems sort of flipped the type of person that i'm seeing defend kotaku seems to be that like toxic gamer being like yeah right, this game so does weird. fucking suck and so it's like <laughs> i don't know you know like yeah. i i don't think i do appreciate the willingness to be quote unquote real mm-hmm. and 
uncensored in your discussion of video games, sure. But, but delivery still matters. Delivery does matter. You could have yeah. you could have written this in a in a a better, more sophisticated. I don't even want to say respectful because I don't like when people are like, mm, "You got to be respectful," because right. oftentimes it plays into like systems of authority and stuff like that. It's like you got to be respectful because you're you know you're your superiors or I view you as like a, a lower kind of person. I don't know how to say why words are hard. I just woke up. I'm so sorry. I'm not very eloquent today. <laughs> um, but like when, when I, the types of our conversations around that are, are always like respect your elders or respect authority, respect police, yeah. respect whatever. It's usually like systems of power. And so I don't like that, but I think um, again, maybe it's just that I, that's just not my preferred brand of criticism is like snark and and cynicism but um but yeah so i want to say write how you want to write but then i'm also with the crowd that's like all right go ahead and be a youtube thumbnail site because that's kind of what it seems like you're going for you're kind of like we need we need to differentiate ourselves and we're going to go for this really kind of harsh you know critical unedited tone so yeah and i don't know how long that can sustain them yeah but i guess we will see well uh, patricia hernandez took over as Mm editor-in-chief and i like her work and i think that i mean she's said that she really wants to like revamp the site and relaunch the site and i want to say that was like within the last month so i don't know if this is part of that (laughs) rebranding or that (laughs) relaunching because she said she wants to tear up like everything um and so I, again, I don't know what that means. Are we? Are they going to be going in a different direction? Are they? I was hoping that it meant they were going to go more, kind of sophisticated and not academic necessarily, but um, be a little bit more kind of thoughtful and not just a little more know, critical. Yeah, like off the cuff, and you know, but maybe, maybe not based on this article. <laughs> so. Oh, oh, so I, I was, I was on the Twitters. I admit. Um, there's a new article out by Kotaku, and it's titled, First it was an Assassin's Creed expansion, now it's Ubisoft's eight-year nightmare, and it's about Skull and Bones. So I'm wondering if there's anything new. It seems to be talking about how it has really, really struggled. Has it been eight years? I think so. Holy. But see, that's the problem, is that seems like a long time, because that's when they announced it, but that's the danger of announcing a game too early and a lot of companies are learning that is like game development is often times messy and hard and takes a long time and sometimes we think oh this game came out of nowhere but it's been in the works for seven eight ten years so i don't know i mean eight years seems like a lot because they announced it but what if they would have only announced it last year or two years ago we'd be like oh here it comes So listen to this. Nearly eight years after it was first conceived, Skull and Bones has blown through its initial budgets. That's budgets plural. Hmm. According to three sources, the project has already cost Ubisoft more than $120 with that number continuing to balloon as hundreds of developers from other Ubisoft studios continue pitching in to try and ship the game without any more delays. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Quote, no one wants to admit they fucked up. Well, I mean, I want to know what the fuck up was, though. Like what? Uh, Apparently, it never had a clear creative vision and there were basically too many chefs in the kitchen. Hmm. I still kind of want to know specifically what that means, because what 
directions were these different proverbial cooks trying to take the game? You know what I mean? The only one that we saw was that it was going to be a multiplayer ship battle online game. Um, were there people that were trying to push for that single player, like open world exploration thing that we wanted and it wasn't happening and they had to shift. I I don't know. I'm just, I'd be really curious about some details. Apparently Ubisoft did confirm that, that Skull and Bones just passed alpha. Wow. Okay. Well that's, I mean, that's pretty good news. Years, dude. But still it's happening. It's fine. There were people that were like, it's not going to happen. We're never going to see it. And so... At least it's yeah. moving along, and we seem to be likely to play it in the next year or two. This is a horrible quote, though. And I'm glad this is a pretty lengthy article. I'm just glancing through yeah. it. Um, but this quote, things always go wrong during game development. But <laughs> with Skull and Bones, they rarely seem to go right. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to read that when we're, when we're done. But okay, I mean, it's kind of an update. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just past alpha, so, you know... That's that's pretty good news. It's a it's a game that you could play, so that's cool. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about what we've been playing, which is going to be a short section because oh yeah, <laughs> we haven't been playing much. We've been on the road, we've been busy. taking that trip. Uh, you've been packing. Mm-hmm. Um. So and I've been I've been working. I have been squeezing in some time with with uh, Doki Doki Literature Club, but for the most part, I've been coding. Um, so I, I, I'll, I do want to talk about that a little bit because my coding for my dissertation, what I'm doing is I'm going through screenshots and pictures of my TV because some of the games like Persona 3 did not have a screenshot function. Uh, but I've been screenshotting the various games that I'm studying. So the Persona games, 3, 4, and 5, and then, uh, Persona 5 Royal and Persona 5 Strikers and then, and the dancing games and then, um, Death Stranding. And I'm going through all of those screenshots and I'm calling it coding. I, I think of it as coding. I guess you could call it keyboarding. I think it is. Yeah. I, I, that, the only distinction I think is that a, like codes, you're coming up with codes that are descriptive and mine are more just sort of markers. And then I'm going to collate all of those markers and make something out of them. So mm-hmm. I, I, th- I do think, yeah, it's a form of coding because it's kind of the same thing when you're coding. It's just you're not, I'm giving them descriptive things and not like making up a code to you know reach a broadcatter it doesn't matter i'm coding these uh images and i've been doing persona 5 royal for a while because it's easily the game that i have the most screenshots for and oh for that one game i don't know probably probably like like three thousand or more for just persona 5 um i have 4600 for all of those games but i think i'm still missing some i think there are some that i just haven't moved over to the dissertation folder yet but yeah as as of right now i have about 4600 i'm about 4100 down so i'm i'm pretty close to finishing that group um but i've been doing persona 5 royal for a long time and i like of course i'm going through almost the entire story because of how many screenshots i took so i'm like reliving the story again but it's only making me want to play it again i mean i only played persona 5 royal once to be fair but um, and what's so attractive about that is the new game plus I can just jump right back in from the beginning and have all my items, all my money, all my personas right. unlocked. So I think I'm going to do it. I think I, after I play <laughs> Doki Doki Literature Club, I'm probably going to jump back on the Persona 5 thing, which is like, I don't need to play it for my dissertation. I don't, you know, I don't, there's so many other games I could play, but for some reason I feel like I, I got to do this. my fifth playthrough. Um, so, <laughs> so. 
I have a quick question for you. Yeah. Do you ever feel guilty about like going back and playing games you've already beaten, especially if you've like beat them multiple times or does it, do you find that it depends on like, are there any new releases or is it kind of like a downtime? That's a good question because I used to certainly feel that way, especially when my like anxiety was high um, because with, with my particular brand of anxiety it's very like goal oriented and so if i have this backlog which i i will eternally it's very long um and there are constantly new games coming out i feel like i have to sort of keep up if not you know well okay not if not not for the sake of like staying in the conversation because i know some people have that that feeling of like well i need to be playing the newest game so i can be in the mm-hmm. conversation it's not really for that there are certain games where it's for that because it's like a game i really care about so i want to be a part of the discourse um or i don't want things to be spoiled but it's just my own thing of like the the longer i stay with these older games the more the higher that stack gets and the more games i have to feel bad about not playing so, and I think part of it, it goes back to like the couple of like the two or three years that I sort of took off from gaming or I didn't game very much um, because that stack just got so big that there were so many big titles that I had to catch up on. And I was like, what? I haven't played this. I haven't played that. And so I feel like I don't want to get to that point again. Mm-hmm. But for this year, because I told myself like I'm going to play a bunch of old games I've been doing it and I've actually been able to do it. Like I'm playing Doki Doki Literature Club again. I've I beat that a few, you know, a couple times, two, two or three times on PC. Yeah. Um, I went back and played. Oh God, what did I go back and play? Oh, Mass Effect, the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, I, I replayed Final Fantasy seven and these are pretty, these are not short games or short experiences. Right. So, um, and now I want to play Persona 5. I bought the legendary edition of Dragon Quest XI. I want to replay that. And these are huge games, but I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel, which is super refreshing because I really thought that I was like, going to start Final Fantasy VII and be like, why am I doing this? I should be playing a new game, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, it is, it's really refreshing because I, I feel like I want to play these games and then I'm not feeling anxious like, you know, oh, well, you're not giving this game enough attention or what about this new game kind of thing. So, so yeah. What about, what about you? I don't typically feel guilty, but if, if I'm like between two like new releases and I start something old in between, I'll feel a little more like anxiety or a little more pressure that I like, I have to beat the old game so that I can play that new game at launch, you know? Yeah. But this summer, it's been particularly, for me anyways, the kinds of games that I typically like to play, it's been a slower summer. So I've had the opportunity to play more PC games, and usually that's going back to PC games like Planet Zoo or House Flipper or whatever. Um, So yeah, it seems like we've had a similar-ish kind of summer so far. Um. I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to return to the familiar and there's like comfort in that. So, yeah, I think for me, a lot of it's about box checking too. You know, I like to check boxes. And so, you know, playing Persona 5 Royal again doesn't check any box. Like there's no, you know, <laughs> I don't get to go on my nerdy video game spreadsheet and say that I've completed it because it's already right. completed. Um, but to your point about like playing the older game when a new game's coming out, I do still feel that because I'm like, I have to, like when Doki Doki Literature Club was coming out, I was still playing 
Final Fantasy VII. Right. Especially because I'd already played it. I was like, I need to burn through this thing. I need to just get it done because I want to play. I mean, I had already played Doki Which is Doki funny because you've already too. played Doki Doki. Right, Doki yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. But I was really excited for it. And so I, I that that is one thing where I'm, I do get annoyed with myself where I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this game to come out. I can't wait for this. I'm so excited. When I know damn well I'm not going to play it the first day. <laughs> there are certain games. But that's why you kind of have to clear your schedule. You know, you have to do yeah. what you're saying. Like, get through those old games. Get ready because day one, pop it into your console 12 hours for installation <laughs> and then you can you can get started so um yeah, i don't regret taking time off for cyberpunk <laughs> <laughs> that's that's got to be the worst taking oh, taking time off work for, for something and then being game. like uh <laughs> um but what have you been playing not much uh really the only thing that i've been playing is uh house flipper and then it was funny because I, I had played so much of the uh, power wash simulator and I was feeling kind of sad because, of course, you can go back and replay the levels. But like I want I wanted new content. And then like a week later, they were like, here's our first content update. And I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did all of that, too. But oh, you've that's already, really about it. You already blasted through all of it. I blasted through all of it. I want a power washer now. Like, give me your dirty shit. I want to clean it. I have always thought that. Like, I have seen people cleaning, like, driveways and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's like magic. It's so satisfying. But, like, how do you, you know, I don't have a house. So, like, what, you know, I yeah. don't have any reason. But, like, when I do get a house, like, I, I probably will business. just buy my own. Because, yeah, and then I'll just rent it out. I found a detailing um, account on TikTok and I was obsessed for like an hour. It's amazing. Yeah, there's certain. I don't remember. There was something that I, I sent you like cleaning an iPhone or something. And at first I was like, oh, God, that's gross. But as they started mm -hmm. going through, I was like, hmm, this is itching something in my brain. But let's go back to the house flipper thing. Yeah. R remind me, did you get into that because you were like, preparing to move or was that just a coincidence you know were you like that was just a coincidence okay. because i got into another like simulator phase All right and so when i was done with the initial content with power wash sim i was like what else do i have and then right. i remembered oh house flipper plus i think you know imagining moving to a new house and tears and i have been watching this um uh, the show called flipper flop and so that very much had me in the mood of like, well, now I want to do it. <laughs> so um, that's that's why I got into that. But it was this kind of like itch of like, I want to play Sim games. Cool. Well, hopefully. Because I'd also been playing uh, The Sims 4 and a little bit of Farming Simulator. Interesting. What a broad spectrum of Sim games like oh, we yeah. talked about. <laughs> They're all Sim games, but some of them are very, very different. Yes. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about our main course then, yeah. which is daddies. Daddy Talking issues. Video game dads, video game fathers. <laughs> um, we don't have a very specific angle on this. We're not trying to come at this from a specific direction. We're just talking about some video game dads mm -hmm. that we've we've played. This is not expansive. We we're not. We didn't do a bunch of research into like every video game dad ever ever no. created, <laughs> but. Um, but it is a, a, an interesting thing because like fathers have seemingly been very prominently featured, especially in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. um, mothers, not so much. I think mothers have a little bit of a different history in terms of being depicted well, in video games. But 
And let's let's be honest, there's usually more playable male characters of course, in yeah. video games. So we're going to see more of the fatherhood, I yeah. think, thing. Now, I have some questions that I just kind of want to throw out. You don't necessarily have to answer them, but this is just to kind of, uh, I guess, broaden things up a little bit. Because I was thinking about how... Uh, fatherhood is typically portrayed in video games. And of course, there's always going to be exceptions. But I I like to kind of put things in order or like in categories sometimes. Right. So in the games that I have played or the games that I have watched um, being played, fathers are either like they're great, they're loving, they're, they're cool, or they're like absolute shitty fucking human beings <laughs> right but i would argue that we have a at least a couple of examples of complicated fathers so fathers who struggle to maybe uh connect with their families um while at the same time like accomplishing other things usually those other things being like the goals the the narrative elements of the game being played um and these these complicated fathers are sometimes, I think, uh, reflective of more realistic portrayals of fathers and, and fatherhood, or rather maybe like deeper portrayals. Um, I think, okay, so let's, let me ask you this question. What do you think is the purpose of fatherhood in video games? What do we sometimes see coming from fatherhood? that's a that's a that's a that's a deep one when you were going through all of that i was like yeah i got some stems because you you started you framed this by saying you don't have to answer these and i was like why would i not answer them and then you started going i'm like yeah this is good and you get to that i'm like oh shit hold on a second well because why even portray fatherhood right what does it do right yeah um and we could talk about the mechanical like you know in terms of mechanics Mm -hmm. or what they provide for the player um but that could be accomplished through other characters. So why fathers? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, part of it might be what we've what we've talked about. Like, you know, men are typically the protagonists in many video games. Even today, it's getting better. But even today, mm-hmm. still the case. And part of the reason that men are often the protagonists of games is because men have often been the people making the games, particularly right. starting in the like the 80s into the 90s. Um, it's been a very male dominated field again, getting better, but particularly things like creative directors heavily, you know, been, been, uh, men. And so when you have men shaping the stories, you probably have men, you know, reflecting their real life experiences or their, their deepest, uh, yearnings or trauma or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And, just like any other narrative you're they're they're writing what they're what they know or what they're like familiar with and so particularly when like god of war came out and the last of us part two um people were commenting on like these dads in video games and how that's becoming like a thing and people looked back and they were like well a lot of these game developers are having kids now like these creative directors who are now the the lead architect of these games um, are at that point where they're having kids. So they're having kids, they're reflecting on their own fathers in shaping their children um, and and asking themselves those questions. What does it mean to be a father? How do I, how am I a good father? I'm flawed, right. so I'm not going to be perfect. 
And guess what? We get these like complicated characters. We we get this the ideas of like passing on legacy, teaching the younger generation, um, fathers as protectors. And I think that's why we see in part somewhat more dynamic portrayals of fatherhood in in video games today. Yeah. Um, and I definitely have some examples that I kind of want to pick through. And I know that you had a list as well. Um, so what I had down was exactly that, like the sort of transference of the creators onto like the art that they're producing. Um, but I also think fathers are often there to reinforce masculine norms. And I don't necessarily think that that's always like a conscious decision on the part of uh, the developers, the writers, but that's definitely part of what we see, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is how fathers are supposed to be or how not to be a father, right? Um, And I also think that fatherhood also allows developers to humanize the male protagonist more. Because I don't I don't know that we'll ever see a complete balance of like, oh, this percentage of video games has male protagonists and this percentage of video games has, you know, um, women or, you know, people of color or queer individuals or whatever. But I do think we're seeing developers being more conscious of the fact that like male protagonists are still the majority, but how can we make them better? And so... I think when you have fathers who then have relationships to children and or spouses, we often see narratives of fathers and loss. And that is like, like loss, sorrow, grief is something that most, if not all of us can identify with. And so that's very much a humanizing factor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we talk about representation, a lot of times we're talking about there's the old adage about writing write what you know and i think a lot of times it's misunderstood or it's taken to be too specific of like you can only write about experiences you've directly had um but in general i think people kind of do that anyways they write you know characters who are reflective of their own reality um and so they're writing about fathers through their own specific personal lens and like this is what you know, they've experienced fatherhood through most of them, probably through one father, maybe more. They've seen other fathers growing up. So they have an idea of like what a bad father is. And again, if they're making that transition into being a father themselves, then they're struggling with like, okay, well, here's a bad father. Here's what I think a good father should be. Here's what I want to be. But there's also a lot of those fears and anxieties. I imagine I don't, I don't have children, but like a lot of those fears of anxiety and, and anxieties of like, well, I don't hate my dad. And so, and then this is, I'm speaking for the, the developers. I, I do mm-hmm. hate my dad. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what are you? I'm getting into therapy. Let's get, let's get into therapy podcast. Um, pretty, pretty therapy. Anyways. Um, so you have these anxieties, I'm guessing of like, okay, well, I don't necessarily hate my dad, but I recognize that he wasn't, you know, the best dad. He wasn't perfect. There were things he could have done better. Um, and so now going forward, am I going to make those same mistakes? Like, was my dad conscious of it? Did he understand? Did he realize that he wasn't being a perfect father? Was he trying his best? And like, where does that leave me? Am I gonna, is my kid going to grow up and look back and be like, man, my dad could have been better. Um, I wish he would have done this. I wish he would have done that. Um, and so I, I imagine that that's part of where these characters are coming from. Um, 
And so, like you said, it might be completely unconscious. They might just be writing from their experience and not thinking, okay, well, here's the the vision of a father I want to put forward. Here's the archetypal character. Like, here's what I want people to walk away from thinking about fatherhood. Um, In fact, I I expect a lot of the characters that we're going to talk about aren't like that. So... But, but that, you know, we always talk about why representation is important because it's reinforcing, in many of these cases, a specific type of dad. Um, and what I like to practice with my students is something called, I don't know if this is a real thing, but rhetorical substitution, mm-hmm. where when you're analyzing something and you're thinking about how are these fathers depicted and what, what does their gender, because you're talking about ma- masculinity, like what does their gender have to do with it or what is their gender, what role does their gender play? using rhetorical substitution switch out that character with a woman or a person of color or uh, make it a a mother or whatever and you'll start seeing that like if this character were a mother we would be like what a weird mom because they're exhibiting behaviors that are typical typically expected of a father and like Mm -hmm. what does that mean like why why a father of all things and like what how would that change the protagonist if you switched it to a mother and how would that change the game And in a lot of these cases, you know, like Joel from The Last of Us, I'm sure he's going to come up. I feel like he's probably Mm -hmm. top of the list. Um, If you switched him to a mother, it would be a very different reading of that game. And probably the character, you know, would be different. I think they would write the character differently. Um, But I'm curious about stuff like that, about like, why are we seeing some of the same types of characters but I think I'm okay. I'm starting to get on a tangent. So let's go back to what were you, you said you had a list, but what? Um, so just some of the fathers that I pulled out. Um, obviously, as you already mentioned, we have Joel from The Last of Us. Um, we have Kratos from God of War. Uh, we have Lee from Telltale's The Walking Dead. Um, we have Michael from Grand Theft Auto Five. Mm-hmm. And we have, I think we have two father figures in Red Dead Redemption 2. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think the obvious one is John Marston. Um, and then I think Arthur is a bit of a father figure. To John? To John, to some of the other characters, and even to uh, John's son, whose name I'm completely blanking on. Um yeah. I'm, I really want you to play Red Dead 1 now. <laughs> yeah. I really hope they're remastering it because I think that yes. that would, um, yeah, I think it'll, exp- yeah. I, I want you to see his relationship with his son because I, I do think that that's an, a very interesting one. But it's so interesting to me. And we should say we're going to have to kind of get into some spoilers. So if you don't want any spoilers, pretty big spoilers, because we're going to be talking about the fate of some of these characters um so if you don't want any spoilers for things like the last of us or telltale's walking dead or um god of war fallout 4 uh what's the one you just mentioned red dead and red dead 2 probably mm-hmm. check the timestamps and skip it or maybe just skip ahead a little bit skip ahead a few minutes um because what i was going to say was that there's a fatality to a lot of these characters you know mm-hmm. um they're complicated dads they're not perfect they make mistakes throughout and, it, and it's unmistakable it's not really arguable you can't be like well but i think this is no like the game is very clearly showing that they're not 
perfect and they're they're trying to provide and protect these children these you know whether they're they're biological children or or not um but they're not perfect at it and many of them end up dying <laughs> um so lee from the walking dead um arthur and john from the red mm-hmm. dead games um i'm struggling to remember what happens to the character at the end of fallout 4 i don't know if i don't know if he dies but um but yeah there's a there's this like fatality so what what does that mean like is it is it so the sort of tragedy the sort of woe is me of like ah fathers will walk through fire to protect their kids but so that's kind of why i mentioned loss earlier um i feel like a very easy way to again humanize men is through something really tragic right right? but i also think that we're starting to see that as sort of a stereotype or -hmm. like a predictable pattern in video game narrative where it's like oh we have a dad his daughter has to die like is that the only way to show that men can be human beings with emotion like come on (laughs) his daughter Um, his wife um yeah what else? So, so oh, who, who for Lee? It's is is it also his wife? Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah. So the yeah, some some woman dies. But <laughs> but yeah, some woman, yeah. Um, but think about uh, Joel and mm-hmm. how he loses Sarah right in right. the beginning, and then the whole thing that like pins his relationship with Ellie is that they're getting closer, but he could lose her at any time. Right. Right. So again, like loss is the thread. Mm-hmm. It's the rope that kind of carries through the games. Um, Geralt. Yeah. The idea of like not being able to, to like catch up to Siri. Right. Um, I think Geralt is kind of an interesting father figure because he is generally respectful of Siri and what she wants to do with her life. But Geralt is also like a masculine figure. Right. I don't know if we want to, we want how much time we have to kind of pick <laughs> stuff like that apart. But again, I think we're seeing more complicated relationships while at the same time, a lot of lingering sort of stereotypical uh, masculine features of being the protector. Yeah, absolutely. And being haunted by that sense of not being able to protect. Which, again, I think um, could arguably go back to these uh, this idea of these new fathers, like people who are newly, you know, fathers at the beginning of the development cycle or, or sometime over the point of the development cycle. I'm assuming, again, not, not firsthand experience, but you have those fears of like, That's got to be can't? a very real anxiety. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if we had more women in those roles, would we be getting more mothers feeling like they can't protect, you know? Um, because I imagine it's an, it's a parental anxiety. I'm sure it's different in slight ways, but just the idea that you have this new, very fragile life form that you're Mm -hmm. completely responsible for in every way. Um, yeah, I can imagine, you know, being, you know, and I've heard parents say I've, I've known parents, um, that seems very rough. You sound like a robot. I've known parents before. I've known some parents. Um, I've known a parents or two in these <laughs> these times. Um, but, you know, they'll talk about like waking up in the middle of the night, ter- especially with your first child, like waking up terrified that something and you have to go in the room just to like 
check and be like, okay, they're still breathing and everything. So I imagine it's like a shared parental thing. Um, but yeah, I really wonder if the roles would change if we had more women in, in development. Um, but you're right. Like it's, it's all very like how many of these fathers are being protected by their kids? Is that going to be a thing when, when a lot of these game developers are starting to become older and maybe elderly if they're still in the industry? Are we going to, are they going to start feeling those sort of feelings that I've heard that elderly people have of like, I, I want someone to take care of me. What if I die alone? What if, you know what I mean? These, these kind of right. issues that come up with aging, so these like questions. loyalty. Yeah. And again, legacy. Yeah. And, and loneliness and being, being protected and not necessarily protecting um, or, or not being you know, able to protect anymore, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The more I think about this, the more I think that loss and absence are really at the heart of so, I think they're really at the heart of most of the portrayals that we're going to be talking about. Because if you think about The Witcher 3, Siri is not present like actively for much of the game. And right. so it's her absence that is this driving force for Geralt. And as he comes across various characters like the Baron and uh, what's the Emperor's name? Uh, New Groove. Oh, crap. But Ciri's like actual dad, right? Yeah. Um, we're seeing contrasts of like these kind of shitty fathers and that's not what Geralt wants to be right right and it's the absence that allows him it's the absence of Siri that allows him to have these interactions with these other fathers and daughter figures um with Lee it is the absence of his own family that allows him to be closer to Clementine and kind of step in that like temporary father figure role but it's also an absence that um I think encourages players to view fathers critically. So if we think of Grand Theft Auto V, Michael's a shitty dad. Like yeah. he's not a good person. And it's in part because he's always off doing all these other things selfishly and not there for his family. So it's his absence that puts a strain on those relationships. Yeah, although that one is a little bit more complicated by the fact mm -hmm. that his family is shitty as well. Almost everyone in the game is shitty. You know what I mean? It has a very true. cynical view of... Family. But I still look at him and go, he's a shitty dad. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, almost irredeemably so. And they'll have moments where they have, like, connection, and it'll be like, oh, I love you, dad, kind of thing. But, yeah, it's overall, he's very clearly... Yeah. And to go to go on with the, the absence thing, um, why am I forgetting John Marston's uh, wife and son? Yeah. <laughs> but he's going off doing illegal things and he really struggles with like being a family man and staying in one place and being a father. And in part it's his absence again, that kind of creates that strain. So I don't know if anyone's written like an academic paper or an article with that like thesis, but I think that would be interesting to explore. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny cause you said, you said absence and I, my mind went somewhere completely different cause you're talking about the absence of a character in the father's life where the father's like the protagonist or a main mm -hmm. character. Um, but when you said that, I thought of the absence of the father and I immediately thought of JRPGs because yeah, one of the tropes in JRPGs is that there are 
there's no parents. There's either no parents or there's no father figure <laughs> um, to even to even be around. So in a game like Chrono Trigger, there's no dad. Chrono has a mom. There's no father. In Earthbound, there is a father who calls you, but you never see him. The only way you can interact with your dad is through the phone. And so you start out the game at home and your mom is at home and she's like, let me cook you dinner and all that stuff. Um, so the mother is centered in the home and then she's like, oh, make sure to call your father before you leave. And you call your dad and he's like, oh, hey, make sure you're taking care of yourself and like save your game. Because so, so in the game, that's the function he serves is to save and to let you know how much money he's deposited in your bank account. So he deposits money in your bank account based on your battles. So um, it's just like any other JRPG. When you win a battle, you get money. You just don't get it immediately your dad deposits it in your account. And so you have to call him and he'll be like, oh, it looks like you've been playing for this amount of hours because he also encourages you to take breaks as like a meta sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so he'll encourage you to take breaks. Uh, he allows you to save and then he'll be like, oh, and also I deposited $20,000 in your account. And like, damn, damn, oh, you're generous. Um, <laughs> maybe not that much, but it's sometimes if you've been out fighting for a long time, you come back and he's like, here's a big old chunk of change. You're like, damn, dad. Damn. Um, but that's like, even that, like he's absent, like you never see him, you never meet him. Um, and in JRPGs, it's, it's, there's a couple of theories about why that is. And one of them is, um, the very work centric patriarchal culture that mm -hmm. Japan has where particularly in before the big economic bubble burst in the nineties, there was this like you know, fathers, the mother stayed at home and took care of the home and took care of the kids, like, you know, in early nuclear family America, um, and fathers went to work. But fathers went to work was was not just a nine to five thing. You, you went to work, you had dinner with your coworkers because you had to be this company man. They call them salarymen. Mm -hmm. um, so you're a salaryman and your life is dedicated to the company because you stay at the company for life. And so you're you would rarely be home. And when you were home, you were sort of checked out. You, so you weren't a very active, very present father. And so the theory is that that ends up making its way into all kinds of Japanese fiction, including video games, where um, in order to kind of reflect the real world, your father, your father's not going to be around. You're going to be this young hero who doesn't have the support of either a family completely or you don't have the support of your father. Um and so that's interesting to me, too, because, you know, it's hard to talk about the presence of fathers without talking about the purposeful absence or lack of fathers in some games, too. Um, right. And that is a very significant example of of the absence. I was so correct me if I'm wrong, but in something as simple as like Stardew Valley's narrative, your mom will send you like I think she sends you gold once she'll send you like cookies or whatever for your birthday do you ever get a letter from your dad or any indication of a father? I don't think so. That's a great point. Because guess what? Again, Stardew Valley is mostly modeled off of Japanese games. Yeah, and, and so I was trying to think back to like Harvest Moon. I can't remember. But I think that absence is, it sounds weird to put it this way, but is present <laughs> in a lot of, of media. And now, Well, now that I think about it, it's interesting because in the games that I can think of where you don't have parents, but you have a father figure like mm -hmm. the persona game. So in the persona three, four and five, you're not, you don't, you don't have direct contact with your family. You're sent away for whatever reason. 
um, and you have you're staying with someone and in Japan when you're staying with someone oftentimes you're considered family like especially if you're if you are you know whether or not you're blood related like if you're with the family you're considered a part of the family okay. um, and so they they are they sort of take on this immediate parental role but they're not they're surrogates so in Persona 4 you have Dojima who you're staying with who's a police officer um, who has a young daughter and so you kind of immediately she starts calling you big bro and there is some tension between you and where it's like kind of awkward but then you know as events start unfolding you become a family because you're close and you're going through all this stuff together and then the the father figure dojima becomes a little softer and being you know like you're part of this family i love you like a son kind of thing and the same thing with sojiro in persona 5 you're again sent away from your family to stay with sojiro who's going to be your they don't call him that of course but like your surrogate father your guardian um, and at first he's very sort of rough and he's like, clean your room, do your work, stay out of trouble, don't give me any problems. And then eventually the story starts unfolding and he kind of realizes that you're not a terrible person. Um, you start helping out around the shop and then eventually he's like, I love you like you're my own, my own son, you're part of my family. So I can't help but think of that and then think of um, like Geralt and like... Um, Oh God! What was uh, Arthur from Red Dead Two? Uh, Lee, Joel, like all of these fathers are stand-ins. They're not the character characters who they're protecting. They're surrogates. You know what I mean? Like there's there's got to be something there too. I hadn't really thought about that. Not only that, but at a certain point, much of those. Okay, so. In many of those games that you just referenced, the father eventually steps aside for, like, the child to be the hero. And I, I use the word hero, like, loosely. Um, because Siri is the one who saves the world. Right. Right? Clementine goes on to be the hero. Um, I'm trying to think what else. It, it doesn't apply to all of the, the narratives, for sure, but it does to probably roughly about about half of them, um, which is interesting because what does that do? It places the father at this, like, sort of sacrificial sort of level. Yeah, and it and it makes me think back to the, our conversation about fathers creating these complex characters because it's reflective of their anxieties. It's also probably reflective of their hopes and dreams that like they will. Mm -hmm. And again, I think this is a parental thing, but of course we're seeing it imbued in fathers, but you do want theoretically speaking, hopefully speaking um, <laughs> to give your kid a better life than you had. You want to sort of pass the, pass the torch. You want to take all of the knowledge and hard lessons that you've learned and, and make sure that they don't make those same mistakes and they lead a better life. And so suddenly we're seeing that reflected in these games. I mean, and maybe that seems obvious, but yeah, I think that's, that's except for the absent fathers, they don't, they just don't care. Right. And in that case, there has to be other male figures who still act as like guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, with Joel in The Last of Us, I mean, that's sort of part of the core of his personality is like, he couldn't you know he couldn't protect his biological daughter sarah right i mm -hmm. think you said yes sarah. um I, I always forget her name because she's in the game for like two yeah. minutes or something <laughs> but like he couldn't protect her 
And that is a huge part of what shapes his relationship with Ellie because he's determined not to make that same mistake. And there's a big, I won't spoil it too much, um, but there's a big event that happens at the beginning of The Last of Us Part Two that I think you have to think back to the beginning of his the beginning of The Last of Us One. Yes. To get at the psychology of what goes into that decision that he makes. It's a very hard decision that he makes. Um and it's to to it's in his mind to protect Ellie. That's what he's doing. Um and so I think, you know, it's just I think it has to go back to that. Like, I'm again, I'm trying to be sort of vague, but like the idea that like, I, I will walk through the fire. I will take the, the hits. I will do the bad things if I have to, to make sure that you not only survive, but thrive or like lead a good life kind of thing. Hmm. I feel like I should have thought about this more. There's so much, I think that we could talk <laughs> about with these dads. One thing that I would like to mention, if anyone is interested is I did just a very basic, search in google scholar and i just typed in fatherhood in video games and there's there's quite a few articles really um i might have to to read some of these at some point yeah um big daddies and broken men father daughter relationships in video games uh tale of two fathers authenticating fatherhood in quantic dreams heavy rain the origami killer and naughty dogs the last of us uh, Big Daddies and Their Little Sisters, Post-Feminist Fatherhood in the Bioshock series. There's um, stuff on The Witcher, Last of Us, God of War. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, I didn't even think of... I, I Well, I thought of Big Daddies, but I was like, that seems more of like a symbolic fatherhood, which, <laughs> I mean, if you're getting into it in academic terms, you can absolutely read into that. But I was like, I don't really... They're daddies by name, but they're not... Mm-hmm. We don't really get to see... Other than them escorting the little sisters, we don't really get to see much of their fatherhood. Right. So, just out of curiosity, I'm going to put in motherhood and see. Ooh. Well, it's funny. I mentioned the dad in in uh, Earthbound. He he doesn't get a name. He's just your dad, your father. He's just, just dad. <laughs> um, but he's in a game. He's in a series called Mother, <laughs> which uh, was meant to have sort of a dual dual meaning. Not nearly as many course yeah but i'd also have to play around with the search terms but we'd also have to look at i mean even something like god of war because we have a very clear depiction of a father in kratos and then we have a very clear depiction of a mother who becomes an enemy Mm -hmm. um in freya was it i think freya yes freya the witch yeah and what does that say about women right Hmm. yeah (laughs) um yeah and then again like chrono's mom and uh yeah, now that I think about it, like even in terms of like in Earthbound, in terms of utility, your dad is a lot more useful <laughs> than your mom, even though your mom is present. Your mom is there and she'll like make you food a couple times, but um, <laughs> she doesn't have the money. <laughs> but you don't need her really, you know? So another dad I thought of was the dad uh, from Katmar Damasi, King of All Cosmos. He's a okay. shitty dad. He destroys the entire fucking universe. And then he's oh, like, oh, yeah, son. Clean it up. <laughs> like, oh, what, okay. a, what a shitty father. He's like, trial by fire. I'm not yeah. going to give you a better life. You have to earn it. Go roll up some shit, literally. <laughs> Dick. Jesus. <laughs> what about the sole survivor from Fallout 4? I was, I was just going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> that is so weird because... 
Okay, I do feel a, a, a bit removed from the narrative just because it has been so long, but you're supposed to feel like, oh my god, I have to figure out what happened to my child. And then like, it doesn't really land as far as the narrative goes. So I didn't feel nearly as much of a pull uh, with that father-child relationship as I did with the other games we've mentioned. It is very funny. Well, in Fallout 3, I think you're looking for your dad, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. Um, so we have fathers in Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, and I think that's the one played by Liam Neeson. But in Fallout 4, yeah, you are the dad, and you're looking for your son because your wife has been killed. You woke up in this mm-hmm. vault, in this cryogenic um, chamber, and your wife has been killed and your son's been taken. And this has been a complaint about RPGs going back to some of the oldest RPGs, some of old JRPGs is an RPG will set you up with this sort of seemingly very time sensitive thing of the world's going to end or you have Mm -hmm. to get your son. Like basically they're asking you to trust them that your character, you really, you love your son so much that you just, you have, you'll do anything to get him back. And then they give you this open world with all these side quests where it's like, would you, if you were really concerned about your son, would you really be like, let me go fuck around with, you know, let me manage all these settlements. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I think? I think I need another turret here. You know, I don't have the materials, though. Let me go out and grab them. Um, You know, even if your character had more to say about the child at random moments or like, oh, you see uh, you walk into uh you know, a house has been decimated, but there's like part of a cradle or something remaining and you have like a thought about that. It connects to a memory. Nope. <laughs> that actually, now that I think about it, this is such an interesting depiction of fatherhood because it puts the fatherhood in your hands and all of these other games, they're very scripted. Like, you know, the last of us, there's some freedom in the last of us, but for the most part, they keep you on track. There are open areas, but it's not an open world game. So it's very sort of guided you're moving through the story pretty pretty regularly. Same thing with God of War. Not really an open world game, and they kind of keep you moving through the story. Um, although in that one, there's a little bit more of like, we're, we got to do it right. We got to take our time kind of thing. But but regardless, these aren't big open world games. But in, So the fatherhood is all sort of depicted or like written and created for us. There's some variation based on how you play it. But um, with Fallout, it's all in your hands. They set it up and they're like, trust us, you really care about your son. And then you can play it that way and be like, well, then I got to mainline the story because I need to get my son. I'm so concerned about my son. Or you can go do every side quest, try to get all the trophies. You're trying to create a better world for your child. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, when I do get him. And collect I want all him... of the, the cups and utensils as you go. But imagine how mad you would be as the son if your dad got to you finally and he's like, son, I've, I've been trying so hard to find you. And you're like, oh, thank you, dad. Oh, that's so, so thoughtful. And then you go out into the world and he's like, let me show you all these outposts I set up. This one was a real bitch. I had to come back here like 14 <laughs> times because it was just infested with monsters. You'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? You, How I was in you take? I this was fucking years. prison or whatever. I don't remember where the kid is. But that shows like, I don't remember the plight. I don't remember what happens to the kid because like I didn't take on that role. Like they were like, here's a the, you're going to take the role of this very concerned father and i immediately said nope i'm going to take the role of a childless wanderer because that's the the, the world doesn't match the narrative right. as far as how it's supposed to be prompting you yeah so th- there was no there was not much reinforcement in the world for the narrative which i know we're getting off 
topic a little bit, but I think that's why it's so hard to criticize open world games for things like story, um, because the story is kind of in your hands. It could be created that the story, if you play the the main story, you just play the the main quests um, mm-hmm. from beginning to end. That the story is very well constructed, very well paced, but if you don't do that and you do any deviation that could mess with things like you know pacing or even remembering who the characters are remembering what the last story beat was especially in these massive open world games and so it's hard i don't have a lot of um i i feel i feel pretty bad i feel a little bit empathetic to journalists who have to review these games because yeah. you know if you have to make a comment on the the narrative it depends on person to person. And so it's hard to be like, this game has a bad narrative because maybe it's just how you played it. So, Except there are open world games that do a much better job than Fallout 4. I mean, even yeah. a game like uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I can tell you a lot more about the story than I can for Fallout 4. Even though Valhalla was stretched out. Um, yeah. The Witcher, much stronger narratively. I think I think they're stronger, but I think they all suffer that same problem of like, yeah, oh no, I have to get to Siri, and then I'm gonna go, and I'm like, no, 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 Siri can wait. I I have shit to do. You know what I mean? Well, you see, she's a badass. She can take care of herself. <laughs> That's true, but he's still worried. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so I I I, I, that, I guess that's what I'm saying is like game developers have a balance because if they make the main sure. quest too enticing or they make you feel too too, riveting right too riveting or they make you feel too bad or too guilty about not doing the thing whether it's like saving your daughter or like protecting the world um then uh, sorry i I think i lost if they don't make you feel bad too bad then you're gonna go do other side stuff and that's gonna feel unimportant and so the story is gonna feel less heavy and significant but if they make you feel too bad then you're going to ignore all that side content and you're not going to get to do the exploration and really fully experience the world. But you know, even if you don't have that pull of child in danger, that can still happen because I I was thinking back to um, cyberpunk the other day and how I actually found the story initially to be pretty interesting. And so I blew through it. And then after that, I was like, well, I'm going to platinum the game and you're doing all these things as V that no longer makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's now uh, removed from, like, the main narrative. So, yeah, it is definitely an issue of um, balance when it comes to that. So I don't, like you said, I don't envy the the reviewers that have to, you know, respond critically to yeah. the narrative in big open world games. Or if you play it like I did, you get to a certain point in the story and they're like, yeah, you're sick, you're dying. You have to hurry up and do the end of the story. And I'm like, nope, got side quests to do and you're doing side quests. I got 40 hours left of shit to do. Exactly. So (laughs) it's got to be really hard to construct. And maybe that's maybe that's what one of the problems that they ran into. It's really hard to construct a tight, well-woven, engaging narrative, but also create an open world that encourages and rewards exploration and taking side quests and getting away from the story kind of thing unless you unless you do it in a way where there's no pull but then yeah i don't know it's it's hard well let's talk briefly about the sort of flip side of that and talk about fathers that are much more active in their children's lives so you wanted to talk a little bit about dream daddy (laughs) um (laughs) 
I thought it would be a nice, fun way to end because that if we're talking about fatherhood, that's a whole game full of fathers. It's centered on yeah. fathers. And so we have a lot of depictions of of uh, types of fathers and fatherhood. And I would argue that most of them are pretty positive, but you kind of it kind of has to be because it's a dating sim. So yeah. if they were like, here's this father who's neglectful and abusive <laughs> like that. Who's yeah. going to choose that one? You know? So there, we see a lot of different personalities, and um, but they're all very earnest. Yeah, right? exactly. Or right. Relatively, relatively. Yeah. Um, I especially love your character's relationship with oh, what's her name. Why oh, am I shit. terrible with names? I know I am also really bad with names. Uh, um, and I like your, her a lot. She's so I know your character's Amanda. relationship with the Am- daughter Amanda. Amanda, yeah. <laughs> Amanda is so sweet and yeah. playful, and it's like such a positive, I think, representation of fatherhood. But I, you know, I almost hate that we're only talking about fathers because these kinds of traits and qualities don't belong just to men, right? Yeah. Like if, um, you know, if we were to swap this out. And, and you were playing as, you know, a woman, that would still be a really sweet relationship. Because again, it's playful, and it's earnest, and it's trusting, and it's overwhelmingly positive. And I think that's great for parenthood in general. Well, there's got to be a some version of an indie dream mommy, or dream, dream, mommy. <laughs> dream milf. Somehow, I don't know. <laughs> Fantasy milf simulator or something. <laughs> I think we're getting away from the wholesome... <laughs> Well, because I think about that, like dream daddy, like daddy is less, less, not fully, but less sexualized than something like MILF or mommy. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I'm struggling to think of a title for a game like that. Like, because we, you know, innocuous or not, we call women who are moms who you want to be in a relationship with MILFs. And that's not mm-hmm. exactly wholesome. You know what I mean? Nope. So, um single mom sim or something i don't know but but yeah it would be really interesting to see that and after the success of dream daddy i'm almost like why haven't we I, i'd be down i'd check that check that out you know in right. a heartbeat um but no i would I, be totally fine with a dream daddy too like <laughs> yeah yeah and i I, th- I bet there is uh, i'm sure there is because this game is still still people are playing it and talking about it but yeah, your relationship with your daughter and that is that same sort of like it's not completely idealistic, you know. There's it's nice and loving and, and everything, but it is also at times turbulent and shows what I imagine again not not being a father, um, being some of the struggles of raising a child on your own. Because to talk about absence again, where's where's mm-hmm. the mother? You know what I mean? So I I think if I remember correctly, the mom died, right? So there we go. Loss again. And now that I think about it, I wonder if that's in part like you can't. Can we not imagine fathers who just love their children and want to like be a part of their lives? Does it are they forced into it by this loss, by this separation of like, you know, your mom chose to leave or like I chose to leave your mom and I love you so much that I'm going to. We, we kind of see that in mainstream media as well, because who do we lift up single moms as much as we go, oh, wow, look at that single dad that stepped up to change diapers and feed their kid. Like we talk about those differently. 
Yeah, and I think it it's it kind of goes both ways. And like on the one hand, I think we do lift up single moms, but it's usually in this sort of like tragic like they're overworked, they're sort of like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's totally understandable, but they're, you know, their singleness is usually the the point of some kind of like well they were cheated on or the guy left them and like not necessarily tragedy whereas dads single dads as depicted in media movies and and everything mm-hmm. it's usually because they didn't have a choice because why would they you know walk away from a relationship like why would they give up the motherhood which fair is probably reflective of reality um but but they're somehow a hero for it right and, and yeah. a, a, like a tragic mm-hmm. hero of like look at the burden they've they've taken on you know and he's doing such a good job right yeah <laughs> Um, which is sort of infantilizing too. It's like, why, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we don't expect men to be able to be parents. Right. It's kind of weird. Yeah. So that I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, your character in dream daddy, that's the, that's the very scenario. And I mean, Mm -hmm. okay. Your character in dream daddy does seem to love his daughter. I'm not trying to say that that he doesn't, he does seem to be by default, a very loving, you know, understanding dad and all that stuff. But I'm just noticing a trend as we talk about these is there's like, a lot of dads who are like, oh, no, I'm I'm thrust into this position of not, you know, because yeah. even Sojiro and Dojima from the Persona games are single dads. <laughs> they both have daughters in the game before you as the protagonists come into their lives. So they're already single dads. And it's the same thing. They're like doing the best they can. And like, that's another thing is like single fathers are depicted as like kind of always struggling and in a way sort of bumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and single moms are capable, but overwhelmed, you know what I mean? So like what, what goes into that too? And, and does that contribute to dads being like, and then we're getting into some big social questions yeah. here, but like, does that contribute because representation matters, um, to dads feeling like they don't have to, like, I don't have to know everything cause I'm just the dad. I just have to be there for A, mm-hmm. B and C. I don't have to worry about taking care of the kid. The mom does that. So then suddenly when the mom's removed from the picture, oh, no, I'm bumbling my way through changing diapers and, you know, talking. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say this. This reminds me of a TikTok that I saw this morning where it was a woman saying, you know, when moms say that they're tired, that doesn't mean necessarily that they want a nap. They're tired from having to manage everything. Yeah where the kids are going, what meals are going to be cooked, keeping up the house, who lost their keys, blah, 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 blah. Um, we don't think of men necessarily as having to um, be on top of everything. So the expectations when it comes to parenthood are definitely different, generally speaking, want yeah. to qualify. And that, that tiredness, yeah, I think we should say we're not trying to stereotype or, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are plenty of, of parents who don't fit this discussion but we're mostly talking about representation this is what we see in media um but yeah i think that makes a lot of sense to me because and that's why i think sometimes when i'll hear a mom who's like let's say it's a single mom with like two kids or something um and someone will be like oh you know the grandma took the kids for the weekend and she got a nice break and it's like but i feel like that's so temporary because like you said the tiredness is not I just need a, I just need two days off or something. I'm sure they would, they appreciate it, of course, but, yeah, yeah. um, and again, all this, I have no idea. I'm not a parent at all, but it's all just <laughs> speculation based on, um, things I've heard and stuff and read, 
but it, it is that systemic thing, right? Where it's like, I'm tired because I can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. That's all it's a I constant see is, burden. Right. I have to, I'll have to do this again next year and I have to prepare again for the school year and buy school supplies and mm-hmm. sign them up for this and drive them to that next year as well. So yeah. not that it's all bad, but it's yeah. a huge responsibility. So let's shift to the positive from that yeah. hard turn. Who who was your dream daddy? Who did you end uh, up with? I'm looking at a list right now. So there was something really intriguing about Robert because he's the bad boy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure that the first dad that I wooed was Matt. Ah, damn it. <laughs> and then let me let me look. I, I was went hoping with Brian have... one time. Okay. You went um, with Brian, interesting. I've played this game so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I want to say Craig. Yeah. What about you? And now you're going to have it on there on your Steam Deck. So now it's more like Oh yeah, we're playing Steamy Steam Deck. <laughs> oh god. Cuz got the the dads. Yeah, we yeah, mhm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um moving right along. I so you said Matt and I said damn it because that's who I chose as well. And I was hoping we would have different choices. But yeah, Matt uh, definitely called to me. I mean, I think all the dads are, you know, very attractive. Obviously, that's a dating sim. Um, So everyone has to be attractive. So they're all attractive in their own ways. But I liked Matt's kind of carefree, laid back attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, My character was coming off as very anxious and high strung, which was like, okay, a little bit reflective of myself. And so I think maybe there was a pool of that of like, imagine Mm -hmm. having a partner that would be understanding of that but also help you overcome some of those burdens because they're like kind of a good role model so like they're not going to like protect you and take care of you but they'll kind of hold your hand and like get you out of your shell a little bit he's definitely got this like emotional maturity about him yeah and he does have i think moments of of vulnerability but i think that emotional i guess emotional intelligence yeah was definitely a big draw for me and he's into music he has really yeah. good musical tastes he makes dumb dad puns um, i mean coffee hello coffee coffee <laughs> um yeah so i mean i think there are people well, joseph was intriguing because he, there's something off about the family there's something off about the family but he seems like there might be because he is very disturbing at first i was like definitely not mm-hmm. last on the list kind of thing <laughs> Um, but then it starts being kind of revealed that he has a backstory that's not nearly as pristine and um, right. safe as it seems. So I never got into that, of course, but I was intrigued by that. Craig seems great. Craig seems interesting because he seems like a total dude bro. But mm-hmm. I think almost every interaction that you have with him, he's like flipping that on its head and being like, no, like I'm a very attentive, very caring dad. I don't really necessarily care about some of like the masculine expectations of dude bros you know what i mean like he challenges right. some of that so i thought craig might have been my second runner up um i always liked goth and gothy so like damien damien mm-hmm. seems like kind of a jerk though so i don't know yeah but, um, i kind of want to go back and play through all of them all the sort of storylines um because it's just a delightful game too is it on playstation Get them trophies. Excellent, Excellent question. <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> uh, 
that's the kind of game where I'm like, I've played it when it came out on what PC or whatever was a you know the original platform, and then it comes to something like, because I think a lot of people are like, when it comes to Switch, they're like, yeah, I can play it on the go, but I don't play a lot of games on the go. But if something comes yes. to PlayStation, I'm like, fourteen ninety nine, give sir. me them trophies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So any any final thoughts about? about fatherhood dream daddy fathers and games no i i think there's actually going to be a lot that i'm going to walk away with today to just like kind of think about and process because there are quite a few dads and some of them i think are just outright shitty but most of the ones i think we talked about at length today are complicated but there is some good mixed in with some bad and i think that that is incredibly realistic based on my own experiences and talking with with friends and whatnot um and i also think that having these dads that are vulnerable and sometimes kind of fragile and that struggle helps to ground the games a bit um especially if you think about the walking dead with lee Mm -hmm. i mean having this father-daughter relationship which is very relatable for many many people really helps You'd, I think, to make sense of what would otherwise be sort of fantastical, which is the zombie apocalypse narrative, right? Like, it's still very human and it's still very real. Um, and I think that that is great. And I think it also helps to... I want to be careful in how I word this, but I think it helps to elevate the medium a little bit more and make it a little more mature as far as the storytelling when we have these stronger though complicated human relationships and human dynamics in video games. I totally agree. I think Joel is one of the best recent characters in a video game because of how complicated he is and because he has to make these tough choices and some of them you have to make as the player and some of them are kind of out of your hands, but they're all justified. You know what I mean? Like it's not just like the king of all cosmos the stupid decisions like he's you know he's a bad father he's he's a drunkard and he's making mistakes because he's of his addiction and all I th- they never call it an addiction they're very playful about it but of course i mean if you're getting drunk and deleting the universe i would say that you probably have some addiction yeah, um yeah. and so like you know you could argue that he's also a complicated father but it's so shallow by design not criticizing mm-hmm. it um But with a character like Lee or like Joel, I think the writers behind those stories in particular said, we need to make this grounded in reality, though. We have to give we have to justify every action that they make because the player has to believe that even if it was a shitty had a shitty outcome or was a really painful decision, you have to know why they made it. And Mm -hmm. like you said, I think it really grounds it in reality and makes us feel and like you said it elevates the medium because it, it does feel more realistic it's these fantastical settings but the characters which are the most important thing in a narrative feel realistic it doesn't matter if we don't believe that there's a giant fungus monster that you know spits acid right. or whatever um, we believe that these characters are in in that world so i i totally agree and i agree that like i wish maybe we'll have to revisit this at some time because i'm walking away from this having more thoughts than i started mm-hmm. with um, because the way that we run this podcast is we'll come up with an idea and we'll maybe throw out a couple of very 
vague, broad idea so that we have a direction to go on. And then we both go and do our own thinking or maybe look up stuff on our own. And then we come together and have a conversation because I think we want to capture that sort of like real, just two friends kind of chatting kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. I don't think we should change that. But this is the first time that I've been like, damn, like I almost wish we would have had like a pre-conversation because all of these thoughts are seated and I haven't really thought through them. So I'm not sure how to like articulate them or what I even think about them. And now I want to, you know, go away and think about it and come back. So maybe we'll have to do a, a dad part two or something. Yeah. Um, but maybe even bring in um, another voice too. Yeah, our fathers. We will reunite. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't okay. spoken to you in twenty something years. <laughs> How do you feel about fathers and video games? <laughs> um, but thank you for joining us, everyone. Yes. It was a pleasure, as always. Um, next week, we're not sure what we're talking about because we're still busy. We're still figuring yeah, stuff out. Yeah. We Stuff's haven't really had. Yeah, we have a list. We'll, we're going to look at it. Just trust us. Show show up here next week, same time, same same bat channel. Um, until then, you can contact us, of course, at prettypixelspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Losperman. You can find Tab on Twitter at Random Mocks. Any final parting words, Tab? Uh, stay cool out there because it's really fucking hot in Michigan. Cool out there. <laughs> until next time. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> <laughs>